Well, let's jump into this. This is now episode number 42 of the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. We're here with uh, Ryan from DSX Motorsports, Scotty from the shop. I'm, I'm here in the shop too, just not sitting in a fun race car. So, man, what, is, what has happened since, since the last time we were here? I can't really. Well, we, we've been out of the track. Jesus, Dussex, it seems like you haven't left the track since we I last know. spoke. I mean, that's kind of like a, since I live at a track, I guess I could see the confusion. But I mean, been in high plains like crazy as yeah. well. Like this whole month has been the high plains month, which is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we were actually out there. We were actually out there Saturday, Saturday, yep. uh, testing the Pikes Peak car. Um, had had some, I don't know, some good results, interesting results. What do you think, Scotty? Should we talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. I, okay. Ha! I mean, what? Uh, I'm still, I'm still crushed. All I want is a good track day. Um, but I mean, for the most part, the Pikes Peak car did well. Um, you know, like on the clock with transponder time, I did a 57.4 with it, and I screwed up my suspension adjustments on rebound and made it even worse on my second time out. Um, but then, yeah, ran into some issues, oil pressure dropping, oil temperature rising, thinking the car was overheating. Well, the car uh, was, it was about to overheat. Well, yeah. I mean, wondering if it was just radiator caps. We won't know till we test caps. If it wasn't caps and there might be something else going on. But, but yeah, I mean, it was a fun day. The, this car is, this car that I'm sitting in is the Pikes Peak car. And it's, uh, it's a rocket ship. The yeah. first session out took some getting used to, I mean, 150 more horsepower than my car. <laughs> yeah. um, and we've made tons of adjustments to this car upgrades since the last time I drove it, which was what three years ago, the last time I drove it at a track. Yeah. And um, you can feel it. I mean, the man, this car's fast. It's, I mean, it's the fastest car I've ever driven on track. And so this, so let's, let me, can I expand upon that? Sure. Okay. So this is this is the wild thing that happened. So so Scotty goes out two sessions. More first session, warm up, just goes out there, runs, comes back. That's when we made the, the suspension adjustment. I put a camera on the car. Um, and then he goes out, and then that's when he ran the one one fifty seven six. So which is a pretty good time because Scotty, in your car, your best time is a one fifty six. I'm looking at the board, one fifty six nine. So within a couple couple tenths of a second of your best time in your car now albeit in a car that makes more power uh, a good deal more power but then here's the crazy thing so like we didn't didn't really think much about it we, you know we'll talk more about like the why we took the car off and ended up just taking it home early so yesterday I put the video on and and if i'm uh, if you're watching the video i'll just put it up maybe at the bottom of the screen here so you can watch what happened so the two laps so basically there were two hot laps before scotty pulled off First hot lap, I, I'm just watching it. He goes out, car ahead of him goes off, comes back on. Scotty has to you know, slow down, go by him. Then the second lap, hot lap, you wave somebody by. And then the third lap, third hot lap, you come in. So I, I was under the assumption that, well, the second one was the fast one. But then I started looking at the time in the video. The first one was the fast one. Oh, really? And here's the crazy part. So the first one, the guy goes off turn five slows down, waves Scotty by at turn six. And I look at like two points 
we were doing video analysis, right? So we looked at the, the first lap and the second lap. The first lap, which is the faster one, where Scotty got away by, he was held up by two seconds around turn six. Oh gosh. So so then and that was and that was the 157.6. And he was slowed down at, at turn six by two seconds. So then I just basically did an endpoint like like there's a line on the track coming out of turn six. And I went around the next lap back to that exact same point, point to point. Scotty did a 155 dead, 155-0 from that point back to that point before I then yeah. waved the guy by. So and, and that was with making like the rebound. We, we loosened the rebound, which was the wrong way to go. The car was bouncing, wasn't, mm. wasn't comfortable with the suspension. It so, handled like shit. <laughs> it, 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 was, it, was, uh, it was one of those things where, I mean, I, I, I wasn't even pushing in the corners. So, I mean, coming around turn four at, say, 90 miles an hour, and the car was hopping all the way through the corner um, and basically hopping through every corner. So, you know, with the, if we only would have had time to go back out with, you know, making another suspension adjustments or a couple more, I mean, that was the main reason to take it out there is to really set up the suspension. And we just, we didn't get a chance to do it, but. And run it when it's hot, see if the cooling system held up so we can talk about that. But it's, it's like, holy geez. I mean, that, that is way faster than would have expected. So it's like, on the on the telemetry, one fifty seven six from point to point, one fifty five dead. But like knowing what the suspension was and knowing that I mean you weren't even pushing, we're thinking like probably one fifty threes are in the ballpark of, of just the cars that sits right now if we have a, a you know a solid clean lap. Scotty, what do you think that car class wise would fit in? TT two, TT one? So it's um probably TT two, right? It's right on the verge. It's it's actually like it's probably just over TT2 and then about 80 horsepower too low on TT1. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, 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 you know, right in there. I mean, we probably have to do some more, some more calculating to figure it all out, but I'm pretty sure it's a TT1 car. And then, I mean, we'd have to add extra power if we wanted to, to be at the limit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it, it might, it might, it, it does not appear that it would be as far off as we, as we kind of initially had thought based on, based on what we actually saw now. Hey, hey who's that? There's guy? a Viet. A wild yeah. Viet is But yeah, so I mean, that's, that's hugely encouraging to, to yeah. know that, that, okay, we, we, it, it kind of quantifies a lot of the changes that we've made because yeah, I mean, since we really, did a lot of testing at high planes. We've added, you know, 18 inch wheels, the wise fem knuckles. Uh, we've, we've got, you know, the, the field suspension instead of the KWs, Hoosier um, tires, brakes. Alcon brakes. I mean, like, we, and we've gotten more aggressive with the alignment. I mean, we've thrown a lot of stuff at the car and it, and like we've gotten a lot faster at Pike's peak, which, which tells us that we, we are probably moving in the right direction, but then to kind of see, okay, back at our, our home track, how much of a difference how, how much faster the car has gotten it's like okay no this this like all the other things were, were definitely proof of concept but so is this like we're moving in the right direction what was yeah, Pettiford's fastest time in the car before 159 59 something okay cool i'll look at the board again making for good good radio 159.5 okay it was his fastest time but it, that was that was before the brakes that was on 17 inch wheels 
And that yeah. I, be I believe that time was set on the 255 with um, 888s. Uh, so not even the R Toyo RRs for tires. Yeah. Yeah, the cars definitely come a long ways. The uh, um, it's definitely exciting. I mean, to put it into perspective, that that you know that supercharged Civic that was out there that with the sequential in it. Yeah. He set the TT2 track record on Sunday at like a, a high 153. So to wow. think of that car kind of like being in between one and two and all the work that it still needs to get really dialed in. I mean, it's kind of fun to think about it being right there at that track record for TT2, even if it is kind of in the beyond the limit of TT2. I right. think it's pretty awesome. I, I mean, mean the guy, car has potential. And, and again, the, the, the biggest frustration is – you know, two weekends in a row of not being able to set the time, you know, it's just, yeah. I, I mean, besides all the other shenanigans that happen, it's not being able to put down a time is what is what, what kills me. But yeah, I mean, I, I was, it was that civic that went off on five. Oh, really? Uh, he's just cooked it through five. He was probably 15 feet off um, in between five and six came back in. So, yeah, I mean, that definitely killed some time to come around five to a dust cloud with the big arrowed Civic off. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that car was fast. Well, I mean, not to poke the bear here at all, but it sounds like we need to keep working on setting the suspension and stuff up for this oh, yeah. car so we can yep. – uh, so Scott can have, like, his best shot of Superlap. But, I mean, imagine how much of a difference that's going to make – he hasn't been able to really communicate kind of what he thinks the car needs. It's either, yeah, it's good or no, it's, you know, I don't yeah. know. It feels weird. So it'd be good yeah. to actually get, get it kind of dialed in. Yeah. And I mean, so the, the, the plan was to have you drive one of the sessions on Saturday, you know, so we could yeah. actually both get in there, both make, you know, a, a, get an assessment, an, an educated opinion on what needed to happen, you know, um, two people setting up a car is probably better than one, you yeah. know, especially for another driver. So, you know, I mean, the, the, the plan was there. We just couldn't execute it. Well, I think we aired on the, um, on the, on the safer side too. I don't think we need to be breaking the boss's car when it could be something Ab simple. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and we always, so we, we have, we always run water as a coolant. And so mm -hmm. that comes with a couple couple things that we that always catch us out. And, and one of those is that I mean, with with just water, water will evaporate off way more readily than coolant would. And so, like, we we always kind of like kind of give a quick eyeball to the fluids in the cooling system. But it, like the takeaway from this is we really need to just actually fully burp the cooling system every single time we take the car out. Just because, like, if, if there was water that evaporated and there's any kind of air pockets in the cooling system for running it and getting it up to full operating temperature, you have to correct for that and get it back to zero um, before we yeah, take it out to the track. Yeah, completely start fresh. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's just one of those things. It's like you run coolant forever and you don't think about it, you know, yeah. but yeah. A, a car sits here for, let's say, a month or two at a time. Especially in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. You, you Dry know, climate. I mean, it, it, yeah. And if all of a sudden, you know, what you thought was a, a full cooling system all of a sudden is evaporated off. And yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there was, there've been some days where I'm sure it's been close to a hundred in that back room. So I'm sure yeah. that everything's getting right. kind of warm. Some of the water's evaporating off, working its way out to the, to the overflow or whatever. It's just, you gotta, gotta 
get in there and, and really burp the cooling system and, and like know for sure that it's set. So then the, the other wrinkle is to get the, the boiling point up, we run a really high pressure radiator cap. We're running a two bar cap. And I think that the, the heat that, that gets into those and, and the engine and everything like that, I think that just we've gone through a lot of radiator caps. We'll say that. Yeah. And, and it, what I think we've got to do is we've, we've our, our guess is that if, if um, it wasn't that we had air in the cooling system when we started on Saturday, the issue is we had a failed radiator cap Yeah. because we, we, there's a lot of coolant that went into the overflow and very little of it went back. So it's like the, the radiator cap has failed. It's not holding the vacuum and pulling the coolant back in. Yeah. All right. Um, and so we've got, we're going to put new caps on, test the old caps, and, and just we need to burp the coolant and start testing the caps every time before we take the car out, just so that we know that the cooling system is going to work properly. Because we the, the highest coolant temp that we saw was 214 degrees. So the coolant temp didn't spike at all or, or beyond really what we would want to see. But the, the oil temp started to come up. And, and it's not unusual for the oil temp to start getting hot before yeah. the coolant temp would come up. So Scotty did the exact right thing, pulled it off as soon as that, that temp went up yeah. and, and cooled the car off. So I, I don't think we heard anything, knock wood, but um, yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just that reminder that like, you know, when you're going out to the track, when you're driving a race car, when you've got other, some of these other variables like water and coolant instead of or water as a coolant instead of coolant, there's just extra steps that you got to take to make sure that you've got everything where it needs to be so that the car can really be reliable oh, yeah. and run the whole day. It might even be worth mentioning too, that it's possible that like the way that you guys have your dry sump set up probably save the engine. Cause I mean, as you could see, like it's using that oil as a thermal barrier as well. Like it's pulling the heat out of the engine. And what are you guys running like a gallon and a half or two gallons of oil in that system right now? Two and a half, two and a half gallons. Yeah, two and a half gallons. And so if that thing was getting the, you know, 280, 300 degrees with the cooler on it, I mean, it's, but the coolant temp wasn't getting high. I mean, it's definitely showing that like, at least there's that thermal capacity in the oil to kind of help save the engine. Well, right. I, I, and when we, we actually put a heat gun, on the tank and then at the oil in the tank of, I don't know, maybe five or 10 minutes after we came off and the oil was only at 220. Yeah. So I, I think that basically the oil temp coming up, the, the, the red indicator was at a low threshold. But, but to your okay. point, like if the cooling system is, is not pulling its weight, um, right. then, then yeah, I mean, the oil is going to be able to absorb more of that heat because we've got so much oil that is cycling right. through the engine versus like four quarts right um yeah and i i just thought of something if anyone's listening to this and they don't understand why we run water in race cars and that's because it's it's uh it's honestly required for most race cars especially in wheel-to-wheel racing because if you get in any sort of accident and throw you know a gallon or two of coolant all over the track it basically becomes an ice skating ring yeah coolant is very slick very slick um so it's just one of those things that, you know, up Pike's Peak, you know, if you have an issue up Pike's Peak and you spill coolant all over the track, it's not like they have corner workers that can run out, you know, and just like clean up a coolant spill. It's You're talking about, you know, postponing the race for an hour so people can drive probably two miles to get to an area to clean up a spot so that yeah. people don't go launching off the side of a mountain. So there's a reason why we run the water 
Um, yeah. It doesn't always have its benefits, but for, for safety reasons on, on track and, and up Pikes Peak, it's definitely a valuable thing. Yeah. I mean, technically too, water, especially with like a water wetter or like a surfactant built into it. Um, it's better at um, carrying that thermal load than uh, like glycol mixed with yep. water is, you know? So, I mean, it's definitely got two functions, but ultimately the biggest thing is safety. I mean, think about your radiator when you put that hole in it at UMC, you weren't getting rear-ended in a corner too, you know, like everybody right. was just kind of doing their thing and you're like, what, what happened? Like, you don't know where it went because there wasn't cars spinning off everywhere. Right. Like a hot track. I mean, Coolant will evaporate. I mean, it's already coming out, evaporating, basically, you know, at 240 degrees. Water, yeah. yeah. Water, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, water, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it's just, it's it's one of those things, and it's it's another reminder to us, like, we almost, what I've been thinking about is we need to make just, like, a checklist of all the things that we need to do every time before we take the car to the track. You know, check the radiator caps, burp the coolant, nut and bolt the car, you know, check check the wheel bearings, just, like, a checklist of we've got to do all of these things and, and maybe we, we have, I know that Scotty, I think you've got something like this worked up, but we need to add some things I, to I that do, checklist. I've, I've, and I have. Yeah. Now and, we and added it, that to the checklist. And that's something that if, if you're not used to going to the track that you're probably not used to thinking of like having like all of these checks that you need to do to the car just to go out there, just to make sure that you can actually get to the track and, and run and focus on your driving and focus on putting up, good times versus getting to the track and then scrambling to try and get the car to at least be functional so you can go out to another track or track session man i've been super lucky um i haven't paid hardly any attention to my car (laughs) it's probably low on cool or low on water too it it can (laughs) lull you into that that false sense of security you know i mean it's just you know it's it's really the the best thing in the world is to have that where you go to the track you just drive you think about driving you come back and you just you went the whole day with without even worrying about anything other than just going you know hitting your marks following your line and going faster but yeah sooner or later and it's it's one of those things that that i've talked about like you know when your car has just been so reliable for so damn long you you really start like just getting complacent with the fact that it's just like yeah. all i gotta do is turn the key and i can go out and race all day i can just go try and set the fastest laps possible i don't have to worry about the car at all but yeah, yeah it's there, the, it's the, something the you should yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. So it's probably hard to hard to comment on it with the way that the car was behaving. But what did you think of the track? Did the track feel slick to you um, on Saturday, just in general? I didn't think so. Well, goal not in the, the first two sessions. Man, I'm... I went out. So I went out the last two sessions. So I went out WRL the week before that, which didn't get to drive, which kind of sucks. But I went out to WRL the week before that. And the biggest complaint you heard in the paddock is like, man, the track is chewing up tires and it's slick out there. Hmm. And I heard a little bit of that on the NASA weekend as well. When I went out there and drove, so I drove, granted, I drove at like five o'clock in the afternoon, which is like the worst time to drive for a turbo car. I went out there and like going through turn 10, the car was understeering, going through turn two, the car was understeering. There's a couple of times when I was like, especially like coming down and dropping in a 10, I was like, I was just, I mean, just pumping the gas, trying to get the back end to scoot around and actually turn the car. Hmm. It was crazy. Wow. To me, like how slick, um, just how slick the track felt. And I was on AO52s, you know, I was on good tires, but it, it felt yeah. pretty slick to me. 
Well, right. I mean, again, you know, the, the suspension wasn't the best and I wasn't really pushing around corners. So, right. um, but yeah, I mean, the yeah. first, the first two sessions felt pretty good on Saturday, but I mean, yeah, I'm sure it got worse as, yeah. as the temperatures rose. Yeah. It did look like there was a lot of rubber that got put down on the track just from what I was looking at at turn two. Yeah. And you could really see like the, you know, here's, here's the main line through there. And it was, there was just like, tons of rubber down i mean it, it you could it didn't look like asphalt it looked like you know rubber rubber in well, it well they had drag they had, they had cut like a, a groove to try and fix a crack that they had going through there and it kind of is like one of the things i was talking with some of the guys some of the guys were saying you either just apex light and then come across it or you just get on the inside and run the inside around it because you put your loaded up side on that groove there where they had mm. basically like cut the crack out open it like a foot and then repave that whole foot. And it kind of hmm. follows the track line okay. and it's uh it's in a bad spot and it's just under like pushy in there. You either had to hmm. come in an apex light, which we can already do in our cars, or you had to just get on the inside of it and just run it around on the inside of it, which is actually sure. what I ended up doing okay. um, when I drove it. Call that the Porsche line. Yeah, exactly. It very much is like the rear engine line. I mean, you could see like, boxers and caimans and stuff that's usually what they do yeah. they'll get right on the inside and they'll just track the whole inside to the exit and um and i noticed a lot of guys a lot of uh, boxers and stuff doing that at uh wrl and part of it i mean is uh, trying to avoid that stupid hmm. that crack that, that fill-in section yeah yeah but it, yeah, the, old, the overall is i mean it was it was a good weekend we learned we got some good like reminders of things, but like just, yeah, very exciting to kind of see what some of the potential is like still in that car. And like, it's, 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 uh, you know, I think we talked at one point about like trying to decide, well, do we, do we like completely dive into this car and redo it or do we leave it kind of as it is so we can really try and get a full run as it is to yeah. see what kind of time the car would do now up Pikes Peak. And I think we're kind of like, seeing all this like yeah i mean i i kind of have to know now what time this car will do a pike's peak yeah just now knowing how much progress we've made with it yeah yeah i mean once we get once once we get like all the, like the little minutia stuff dialed in for scott i mean he seems very much like a guy who just gets in stuff and just drives it however it's set up yeah. so when it's set up even better i think he's going to have an even easier experience that's oh, yeah. one thing i'll say about um like the yellow car you know, kind of the way it was set up, especially when it's on slicks. I mean, you can run impressive times without trying very hard. Like when it's set up well, like the car's really just, it's just effortless to drive. Now you can like squeeze a lot, you know, out of it still, but just going out there and just having fun, you can put down a good time. It'd be awesome to get the, the, all of our cars like that, where our cars are basically like anybody can hop into them, run faster than they've ever ran in any of their other cars. And then put a good a good driver in there and just really surprise the shit out of people. Yeah, right. I think a lot of that comes from getting the suspension dialed in and set up. So yeah. you've, you've got a lot more grip. So you're carrying more speed through, but just not not intentionally. You're you're carrying the speed because you just you have the grip to use versus yeah. feeling like you're pushing the car to the ragged edge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for builds, sure. Builds more confidence. Oh, and so speaking of the yellow car, Ryan. Yes, sir. You put that thing on the scale. Oh, it did, man. Whoo, it's light. <laughs> and that's right. the first time ran, you've had it on the scale. Yeah. I uh, So I ran that last session. So I ran two sessions on Saturday or on Saturday. 
And it was the second to the last B session. I just started in the back of the group and I got up to it's like a 201. And then that put me like at 16th position in group A. So I ran the last session in group A. And after I came off of group A, it's like I ran a 159.7 on street tires. And wow. my, my driver's side ad band was so corded and I didn't know it was that bad that after about four hours of it sitting, uh, just parked, it had flattened the tire, got down like eight PSI. Ooh. And I, when I loaded on the trailer, I, you know, squirted to figure out like, did I pick up a, a nail or something? And it's literally just coming from where the cap is separating, where it's just peeling apart. Like wow. you would see just little bubbles all around. I was like, man, anyway, so I ran a 159.7 on that. And I'm like, this isn't, this is, this is stupid. This is insane. Like I had traffic. I only had like three laps, like it's five o'clock in the afternoon. Like what, th what is this thing weigh? So there was nobody on the scale. So I just rolled up there and I said, Hey, you guys mind if I weigh it? And with me in the car and I'm a, a, a paltry 200 pounds, um, I, the car weighed at 2,100 or, or 2,838 pounds. So wow. the car is basically like a 2,600 pound car. Wow. And that's with glass is, in the doors. Yeah. That's with that glass glass hand crank i mean it's it's insane i mean even though that cage is like a small cage it's still elaborate you know it's there's a lot of extra bars and stuff that you might not have in like your standard six point so i mean it's i was i mean i'm really that's impressed crazy that a gd could be down in the 2600 pound range yeah and yeah so like thinking about my car with me in it is say 3070 to 3100 ish with, you know, mm -hmm. with the extra diffuser I put in there. So I, I mean, I'm about a buck 70. So that's a 2900 pound car. And I did everything I could yeah. to get the weight out of that. I mean, I pulled extra panels at Lexan windows. I mean, everything I can do to get that car as light as possible. And it's 29, you're 300 pounds ish less. <laughs> That's a lot. Insane. I, I think that means from now on, like Ryan, if you're going to go out there with Scotty, we got to put two more people in your car. <laughs> just, just have them, have them ride in the back. Just hang on to the cage. Yeah. Just, just, just for, just to, to kind of even things out. And now we well, really, we really need to get it on the dyno. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that was kind of another thing. So I was playing with the numbers a little bit with, uh, um, you know, the, the TT calculator. Cause I'd kind of, you know, I kind of like to think it's a TT4 car, even though it's probably closer to TT3 car or a TT3 car. Two or TT2. No, and it's not that. So, you know, you figured if I'm at that weight with me, you know, 2,838 pounds, um, I can make a 250 horsepower average. It's probably not that hard to get that car under heat soak to be 250 wheel. I mean, it might not be much more than that right now. You know, especially peak horsepower. It's only 15 psi at um, at Redline. So when I was granted that motor, this motor is a lot more special cams and everything than my old 205 was. But when my 205 was at was at um, 15 psi, it was only a 260 wheel. Oh. So you know, playing with the dyno, playing with the averages, playing with the heat soak and stuff. I mean, that motor could we could get it down to 250 wheel, but that's on 100 treadwear tires and skinny tires which is pretty much where the car was, you know, I was on AO 52s, 245s. And, um, and the car's probably like 270 right now, wheel horsepower. I would say, uh, 
I mean, you could probably get it down to 250 and it'd probably still run 159s at high planes, like, which is absolutely insane for TT4. That's two seconds faster than I ran in my TT4 car before. Right. So that's great. Well, super crazy. That, that means that we have to get it on the dyno here soon and, and actually get real yeah. numbers. Yeah, for sure. Stop, stop. Yeah, another thing it was another thing is kind of funny is I also did that with no front bumper. <laughs> my front oh, yeah. bumper, I had uh, one of my little pop things that broken and I was somebody was like, Man, you're gonna come out in group A? That was crazy seeing you in group B, you're gonna run with us in group A. I was like, Nah, you know, I don't know. And I was like, Maybe I should go out there. And so it was just quicker to take the bumper off. Yeah. And then it was to try and fix it with the limited time that I had. Because it's basically like B and then like D, 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 and then group A. So I didn't have a whole lot of time. So I was like, yeah. fuck, I'll just take the bump off. And I mean, to that track, I mean, you're still doing like 120 plus miles an hour on the backstretch. I mean, with no front bumper, I thought the hood was going to like peel off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like you the hood, like it's just going down the backstretch. You're just bumping. I was like, oh, man. Because, you know, all that air is getting underneath that yeah. hood big time, you know? Oh, yeah. And so it was pretty funny. So I don't know. Wild. I mean, it would be fun to set that car up for TT4, like dial it in on TT4 just to break some hearts. But I mean, that car is like a, per that car is a, like a professionally built car. And that's why I tell people, like, it, it's a professionally built race car. Like, even if it's not doing what it's supposed to do, it's still at a level that we're not at yet, you know? Yeah. Right. There, there's still some other wizardry going on in there. Yeah, for sure. I am to figure out what some of that is. Yeah, because I, I need a little bit of that magic. <laughs> well, I mean, we're talking about tall ball joints and uh, factory control arms. I mean, we're already looking at the, the ideas that they're executing, figuring out how we can get them in our stuff too. The biggest right. X factor to me is what they did to the rear suspension. Yeah, because um, they 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 whatever they did, it it looks like they they moved the rear subframe much closer. I mean, heck, they welded the rear subframe to the unibody. Yeah. So it, the question is, how much did they move the, the mounting points for the lateral links up? And I think the answer is a lot. Yeah. Well, they um, welded the, the front subframe to the chassis also. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, they might've, they might've raised them both, but in the back is like, Ryan, you, you can't even get your, your hand over the, over the diff as it sits in the car. Yeah. And, and it, it's like, it's like in the standard GD. I mean, there's like, a, I don't know, inch and a half, two inches. Gap there's a fuel tank in there. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Normally. You yeah. know, I mean, there's no room for that. But yeah, so like moving moving the lateral link mounting point up gets you a much steeper downward angle for those lateral links, and that's going to make that McPherson suspension in the rear work way way better. So give you yeah. a lot more rear grip. You know, obviously you've got front grip going on, and it's and obviously you you put all of that together, and just like I said, all of a sudden it becomes easy to drive that car fast. Yeah. So. Yes. I did well, drive off uh, left side several times between two and three, and that got me every time. Like that whole right-hand drive thing, I've been oh. yeah, I've been driving a couple left-hand drive cars the last couple of times I've yep. been out there, and I was in the right-hand drive car just shredding and catching up cars, and I dropped two tires. Like, oh, God. Like, it was just so, so crazy. <laughs> Which side you am know? I on? Putting yeah. yourself on the track as opposed to putting the car on the track. <laughs> exactly. Right. It, happened, it happened two times, one in each session. And both times it startled the shit out of me. It's like, yep. oh god! <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Just, just anyway, yeah. practice, practice, yeah. practice. Yep. Well, so yeah. So the other thing I wanted nothing. to talk about. Oh, sorry. The other thing I wanted to talk about is so Scotty's going through his engine, and and, and he's got a plan. He's working through his plan, 
but there's there's been a lot of interesting questions that have come up as as kind of he's trying to get a functioning engine back in his car and it's a lot of decisions a, a lot of it stems from do you do you reuse a part do you not reuse a part that i think is a is a probably a decision process that a lot of people have, have gone through as they're putting a car back together and uh, i thought it might be might be helpful to kind of have a to talk through that just so that if if somebody listening is kind of having to make the same kind of set of decisions got some some criteria so I don't know. To me, Scotty, the most interesting conundrum is the head studs. But is there any other? Is there another one that uh, that has been a particularly tough decision that you want to start with? Well, how far apart have you taken it yet? It's, oh, it's still it, it's completely apart. I'm oh, already no. working on rebuilding the new one. Um, okay, but so it was uh, the car got 248 degrees. Um, so at least, I mean, that's what the access port showed when I looked at it, it was 248, but so everything got hot, um, come to find out it was an actual bearing failure and there's large chunks of bearing laying in the bottom of the oil pan. Um, so oil contamination. So, you know, the, one of the main things we talk about, like you definitely don't want to reuse anything that can't be thoroughly cleaned as when it comes to that, because if you miss something, put it back together yeah. in your new motor with oil contamination, that could work its way loose. That could get into, you know, it could basically ruin a whole brand new motor. Um, but so like the, start thinking about the turbo, you know, can, with just contamination, can can we reuse the turbo? Because it was that turbo's six or seven months old. You know, it's, it's it's just like I just bought that thing on my last build. So you know, should we reuse it? Um, talking with Jerry up at the Boost Creep and Boost Performance, he was talking about he's got a pressure pot where they basically hook up a pressure pot and run a quart of oil through a turbo just to flush it, which is a, I mean. It's a very cool thing. Try and get everything out of there. They said they've done it with some other customers. Um, you know, but then yesterday we were talking about filming a video with timing components and I went into the bin and took off the two smooth idler pools and realized that they were brown. And huh. the reason why they were brown is because of heat. Like that really motor brown. got so hot that there is a still a silver spot where the belt was sitting, but the rest of the pulley is brown. And this sits on the outside of the motor. Dang. So if you, if you think about the fact like the heat that can go through a motor and like not only contamination that can damage it, but then the heat on the internals can really damage it. So if a pulley on the outside of the motor turned brown, imagine what it did to the turbo. Yeah. I mean, and then, then, cause one of the things was like, there's a brand new set of Roger Clark 11 millimeter head studs. Should I yeah. reuse those? You know, I mean, Hey, that'll save me $300 if I just reuse my Roger Clark head studs. But, but, but then talk about taking the heads off. The, oh, the, the well, heads off the old block. So when I went to take the heads off the old block, the 
all the nuts on the head bolts were basically finger tight. Um, oh, really? Oh, really? So it, the, it basically lifted a head. It uh-huh. got so hot, it lifted heads. Pulled and threads ex- in the block or expansion something. Expansion and contraction, yeah. pulling threads. So when I went to take the heads off that block, it was, I stuck the big breaker bar on there thinking that it was going to be uh, a feat like it usually is. And it uh, basically, I didn't need the breaker bar. I got it off with a small three-eighths ratchet. And, and that was both sides. And the studs in the block were really super tight. Like it was yeah. hard to get the studs out of the block. So it, it, I mean, it really. The, the studs are still in the block because it's that much of a pain in the ass to get them out. Yeah. Yeah. So I had um, on one of my EJs, one of my little ones, when I was reusing those ARPs like over and over and over again, I actually had to heat the, you could see like the nub on the outside. I actually had to heat heat one up with a torch to actually get it to come out because it did not want to come out. It was so jammed up in it. Interesting. And um, I mean, and the biggest reason that's happening, just like you're saying, like the head is expanding so hard and those bolts are holding it down so tight that the path of the least resistance is going to be the, basically the aluminum threads 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 in in the the head. Yeah. Or in the block. Yeah. Yeah. That's just like, and that's why all that stuff is like, everything is like kind of, basically yeah. not aligned anymore you know yep right super spooky and it's it's I, like i mean uh, yeah you, yeah, you, but, you talk about measuring for stretch and it's like okay well you have this bolt and it's like it it, it the, the head stud threads into the block and then there's a nut up top so it's like well i'm i'd be confident that if, if it's set to 90 foot pounds you could get it back to 90 foot pounds but what has happened to the metallurgy of that stud yeah. it's been stretched now plus yeah. it's gotten super hot what what has happened to like the the like the actual tensile strength of that stud? Like yeah. even if you get it to ninety, what is its what is its clamping force going to be? Is it yeah, is right. it worth reusing it to save a couple hundred bucks, or is it is it better to just replace it? I mean, you think about these head bolts are basically like a spring. Like people don't think about it as tensile strength as like a spring strength, but that's what it is. I mean, yeah. basically, it's how much spring how much spring is left into that bolt you know, where it's actually can hold something down. So if you really think about it, you could probably lost a little bit of um, uh, that tensile strength just, well, where those nuts are loose. You could have lost a little bit of it actually pulling up to the top end of that thread. Still fine thread, though. And then the other part of it is how much did you lose in the actual bolt stretching on its own, too, and not having that, like, you know, that that ability to kind of spring back to its – to its size, you know, well, and especially when you heat something up to yeah. that point, when yeah. it's stretched and heated up, it's yeah. less likely to come back to. And, yeah. and those things were to dead its center, size, so. and they they were dead center in the engine. So, like whatever the maximum temperature the engine got up yeah. to, those head studs were probably what yeah. as hot as the engine got. Those head studs were were that were that temperature. So, so yeah, it and it's it and this is it's like. Your, your budget is here, but your needs are here. And like, where can you kind of <laughs> now let's strike let's, a balance? And... Your budget is non-existent. Yeah. Yeah. And your needs are up here. And, and <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things of like, I, well, I have to miss the next event in How at it, Hastings, Nebraska. Uh, yeah. Hastings. Yeah. Hastings. And 
that's that's a track I've wanted to drive for years. It's a super fast, high flowing track. I think that my car with the arrow, I think it would do great there. I really wanted to go out and and uh, put a stomping on the NASA Central class, but I'm gonna miss that. So then the next one, last event of the season, October second and third. So not only is there this like financial crisis i'm gonna call it (laughs) um you know and and then there's like time a time time crunch yeah and then it really comes down to like how how many corners can i cut to get this car back together as quick as possible to make events and still have it hold up and so i mean it it was all just like, well, can I reuse this? Should I reuse this? And then like, now that thinking about it, I'm, I'm not reusing anything from that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, and the, the balance you have to remember when you, if you're, if you're in a pickle like this, the balance you have to remember is if you, if you have to make too many concessions to get the car back together in a time frame, what can happen is, things go wrong and, and it's it's like yeah. every catastrophic failure they they don't call them catastrophic for nothing it's like catastrophic like you, you melt stuff you get everything crazy hot you, there's a lot of fallout damage you know yeah and, ryan's ryan had that right like what oh. was that two or three years ago where you basically yeah. had catastrophic failure after catastrophic yeah. failure yeah and it, yeah and it's, it's 2019 yeah <laughs> It's it's such a hard it's a hard decision to make, but it's like sometimes it, letting go of a season to to basically take the time to do the, the engine right could be the best long term decision because if you scrape together and throw something together so you can make the last event and then you have another catastrophic failure, you're now two steps behind. Yeah. Because now, yeah, but, now but, all the new stuff but, that you but, put in there, but, you wrecked. But 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 lap times. But yeah. lap times. Lap times. Yeah. But yeah. lap times. Like the most important thing. The reason why we do what we do is because of lap times and two weekends in a row being shut down on lap times. And just knowing that that last event of the season, October, it's going to be cooler. There's can be some amazing lap times that happen there. I got people getting close to me, which I don't want. Uh, I just want to keep like, (laughs) right. That I want to keep resetting that time. And I know that my car has it in there. So it's, yeah. I'm still rushing. I mean, I have my heads are being hot tanked right now. Um, a new used block that I got for a pretty good price. Um, so the heads are being hot tanked right now. And I mean, I'll try and get it back together as, as long as I can afford to eat dirt for the rest are of you the gonna, Yeah. Hey, you're vegan, right? That works. <laughs> right. <Yep. laughs> for vegetarian. The, uh, um, do you have what head gaskets you're gonna run, and what were you running? You were running the, I'm assuming you're running OEM ones, right? Before, OEM head gaskets with copper spray. You should really That's- try that other head gasket that I really, really want everybody to run. Um, that uh, SCE Athena, the, I think it's called like the Vulcan Cut Ring. It's uh, it's almost double the thickness of the stock one, which kind of sucks because uh, it hurts your compression, but reason i mentioned is because you might be getting your heads milled to get them in in line right different like, different are they heads. warped or anything oh i see no no they're i mean they're, nothing they're was perfect. usable oh, yeah. oh gosh that is bad 
Well, I mean, but, it's, uh, yeah. So I mean, com- completely new heads. Yeah. Well, new used heads. Yeah. That yeah. are in in great condition. So known good long block. So so no yeah. good heads engine that were all together and basically going through it all. Yeah, because his. I'm there surprised was, you just slam some studs in that beastie and run it. <laughs> We talked. We talked honestly about just dropping the engine in. It, it can't. Everything's bolted together, but it's got over a hundred thousand miles on it, and it was running when it came out, like like no major issues. But like as 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 Scotty started to take it more and more apart, it's like wow, look at all these, look at all this like brown discoloration on the inlet runners. Mm-hmm. That's oh, a lot yeah. of blow by. And then the, like yeah, all the valves out, in there. like a lot of gunk on the back of the valves. It's like probably could have put it in, take it easy. That, that would have been event. one of those those corners that I cut, but yeah. you know I I, fi- I figured if I mean if it's a part, I have the resources. I'll yeah clean everything up, redo the heads, then put head studs in it. Um, I think I'm probably going to run my original short block that came out of the car. Oh, uh, okay. With thirty thousand, thirty some thousand miles on. Yeah. yeah. So these other heads from the long block and your old short block, right? Correct. Yeah. Gotcha. It was it was taken out just from mileage and time, not because yeah. of any issue. Yeah. Cool. Hell yeah. Well, like like we said before in other podcasts, the heads are worth eight hundred bucks easy. I mean, complete yeah. heads and everything. Yep. So, are these the cams and everything will work just fine? Like I can't even remember what it is an STI block, short block or long yeah. block, right? Yeah. W twenty five heads. Yeah, it's a dual dual AVCS. It's out of an 09 STI. Cool. Um, yeah. The, the short block, I don't think it was the original short block that was in that car, um, but the previous owner had put 45,000 miles on it since he owned it, and I'm pretty sure those are the original heads. So they, they were definitely kind of gunked up. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, cleaning everything and put it back together as new and fresh as possible and, and go from there. Now that, that turbo you were running, was that a ball-bearing turbo or a journal-bearing turbo? That journal was journal, bearing. and that was the, the VF48HS. Yeah, that's where I think the oil contamination is kind of scary on a journal bearing turbo, right? Because yeah. you really like there's more tolerant in a in a ball bearing turbo to be able to endure that kind of hit, right? Right. Well, it, really, it's the restrictor. So there's the restrictor on the ball bearings to like kind of get in the way or not let any contamination in there. But a journal bearing is kind of like wide open because you're running it off oil pressure. So there's a there's a lot lot bigger particles that could get into the turbo than with the ball bearing turbo. Yeah, but, and then but, the the heat, the heat of it was yeah, the, the main yeah. deciding factor. Well, yeah, I mean, if everything got that damn hot, well, I'm that sure means that the bearing is. Yeah, it was a journal bearing turbo that was ran for at least a little while with no water in it. Yeah, and it, it, we we've decided that that engines do not like the spontaneous air cooled conversion. I don't think turbos are a, <laughs> bit, a big fan of it either. No. Yeah, it's such a it's but it's it's these are these are hard decisions. It's like you yeah. don't realize how hard of a decision they are until you're sitting in the middle of it. Like, in fact, <laughs> actually, just this morning, this guy came in, knocked on the door, came in. He's got a, gosh, I think it was a 12 STI that he just basically found out that his head gaskets have gone. And so he's, he's the car's overheating, he's pushing coolant, totally stock, unmodified. And he's like, what, what do I do? You know, like when, when you're in that situation, you never plan for a failure. You never like mark on the calendar. Yeah. Okay, this is the day yep. that, that I'm going to blow my head. Yeah, October nineteenth. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. It's just it just happens, and then it's like, oh man, like 
how far do you go to fix it? What what choices do you do you make? And it just it it can it can really be a pickle. It's a half, it's a hard one. But it's it's just one of those like anything that you're reusing, you've got to be really confident that that anything that you're moving from the old engine to the new engine, there's if there's any chance they would take out the new engine, you really you can't do it, or you have to think really 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 hard about it if you're going to do it. Yeah. Now that was that was one of those things. So one of the really small things that I think people overlook a lot, especially with dual and single AVCS engines, are those spools, the little spool valves. You know that run the oh, AVCS solenoid valve, uh, AVCS yeah. solenoids. Those AVS solenoids, those ports, those holes in them are so tiny that like yeah. any little piece in there could hang one up. You hang one cam up, and your valves are not—they're not timed right. I mean, it could even be valve to piston contact. Something similar like that happened to uh, Project Teabag when I went to um, to uh, World Time Attack a couple years ago. Mm. They had uh, an AVS solenoid hang up. And they had like big cams and everything on it. And when that solenoid hung up, those the valve to piston contact was not made for that much advance, you know. Yeah. And um, and they end up taking an engine out because of you know a little piece of crap got into it. Yeah, it's so many little things. It's so right. many little things. It, well, it's like even in the cylinder heads, like the very if you if you have a cylinder head on a, on an engine that had a bearing failure, and you're gonna mm-hmm. and you're gonna clean that cylinder head and move it on to the new engine one of the things that i found out by talking to like joe at asf machine who's like cleaning heads is one of his things the way that they get the oil passage in the cylinder heads is they basically line or drill through the whole head casting like on both sides but then they cap it on this end because they're going to drill into it from the bottom so there's like this this they're drilling in, in multiple directions to create the oil pathway and then they cap where they don't need the oil to go but those caps yeah. are dead ends so if yeah. you've got a bearing material and stuff that's going through the engine and you, or the, take through the cylinder head, you got to take the caps out before you clean the head yeah. because if not, you've got can have all this contamination that's just sitting in this you know dead end hallway, and once you start cycling oil through there again, you can get that oil to come out. Yeah, um, and and or go back in the engine. to come out. Yeah, and and the thing the thing that you have to remember because everybody one of the questions that always comes up with a bearing failure or metal contamination the oil. A lot of people ask, well, what about the filter? Doesn't the filter prevent any damage from, from stuff that comes out of the pan? <laughs> and boy, it would sure be nice if it did, but it, yeah, it, but sure, it doesn't. Sure would be nice. And, and the reason it doesn't is because the, in the, from the pan, you have the pickup. So the pickup is in the oil, and it pulls the oil up from the pan directly into the oil pump. And then from the oil pump, it goes through the filter and then into the engine. So the filter is trying to pick up anything that might have been sucked up by the oil pump and gone through the oil pump. But if you have a lot of bearing material or, or, or whatnot that goes through the oil pump, the oil pump gets damaged. That, that rotor gets damaged. And all of a sudden, now it's not making proper pressure. That drops your oil pressure. And so even if, even if the, the filter is collecting a lot of debris, your oil pump can be compromised. And then once once your pressure starts to go down, then you can have all sorts of problems yeah. elsewhere. Well, it's not just that too. I mean, then it goes into your your mains and then your rod bearings, and then it yep. goes up to the heads. Like shit starts getting on the starts merging onto the oil highway and starts going everywhere else too. Yep. You yeah. Know? It's yep. not the like main- that. Like, oh, I'm a bearing material. I guess I'll just dump out right here. They're like, oh hell no, I'm I'm hitching yep. a ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On I seventy. Yeah, you have the bearing fail in like a rod, and then that bearing material makes it into like the head because that's the next mm-hmm. pathway. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and as pressure drops because the heads get fed last, then 
if pressure drops, those, that's where we're going to start to see the damage first and then yeah. they can come in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's bearing, man, bearing failure. It's no fun. It is no fun. And it's in like metal contamination. It's just, it, it complicates everything so much because it just goes everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it, it gets, it's real expensive. It's been yeah. a, a few sleepless nights at three o'clock in the morning. Like, how am I going to afford to put this thing back together and, and make October? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, got to try and make it October though, man, that's yeah. going to be some fast. That's going to be a fast weekend. Yep. Yep. Things are in process. There's, there's plans that are hatching. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'll look at the on. schedule and see. Cause I think on that, after that October event, um, I think I'm literally driving straight from, uh, um, yeah, from NASA, I'm going straight from Road America from there. So I think straight like once NASA America. and everything close, yeah, straight to Road America. Wow. Because it's only six days in between if you count each one of those days. So, yeah, I mean, wow. that'll be kind of interesting. It'll be kind of fun to shake the car down and have another like, let's go for a weekend and then shoot out to uh, to Road America. Yeah. Yep. Well, hey, so I guess- what do you guys oh, know? What do you guys know about lead and fuel? And um, if you get buildup, does buildup get on like the turbine side? Like oh, the lead uh, buildup? On the turbo? Yeah. So the reason I ask is like mm. when I look at my little mufflers, my little trumpet tips, you yeah. can see lead buildup in there since I've been running leaded fuel for, I don't know, 55 gallons, I guess. Oh, dang. You think that gets, you think that gets on the turbine side, on the, on the exhaust side of the turbo? If that even makes a difference? If it's hot enough, maybe it doesn't? If it's hot enough That's and if the question. turbine's spinning fast enough, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, That's I, a great I just noticed question. it the other day. So I'm running 100 octane. I'm back on 100 octane again right now, but I probably won't have enough 100 octane to get me through like grid life in Road America. So I'm probably going to have like another drum of leaded C16. I'm like, well, I guess I'm taking that out there. And then I noticed that like the buildup, I'll have to send you a picture, but the buildup wow. on the little trumpets of like, there's just stuff in there and you know, it's gotta be, it's gotta be lead because it's what I've been running. Nothing Could else. Be. It can make sense to be there. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not too hard to pull a down pipe, right? Yeah. Well, car's not even here right now. <laughs> it's in high points. Oh, no. I left the trailer up there after last weekend. I was like, I'm not even coming back, man. I, and it's kind of stupid because uh, my tires are done. And so I don't even have any tires to drive on this weekend. And so basically the trailer's just there just for everybody to hang out in because my car will just be on three flat tires. Oh, wow. I was like, whatever. Yeah. But I don't know. Well, yeah. If you, if you find out, that's a good question. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have to guess just as fast as the turbine is spinning that the chances of, of lead deposits forming would be low. And the heat too. Right. Yeah. The heat yeah. got to help. Yeah, I don't know. Definitely okay. something I noticed the other day. Steve was running uh, the C16. Steve Sissel, who used to work with us. Um, yeah. He had... Uh, but not, not very often. I don't think. Oh, uh, right. Well, I mean, honestly, he didn't drive that car very often. It was a Florida car, not even That's registered true. here. So, oh. <laughs> so I guess he's not a good person to ask about that. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I might just take, like you said, just take the downpipe off and see, see how much is actually collected in there. 
Yeah, see if you can see any signs of deposits on the turbine wheel itself. Because yeah, yeah if, remember, if it would get off balance, that would not be great. Well, remember I was talking about how the car kind of felt like it's gotten slower, but it could also mm. just be the fact that like I feel maybe I'm just getting used to it. Mm. You know? Sure. And that's what kind of what I thought it was. But after seeing the lead deposits, I was kind of wondering if there was lead to like lead coking up inside my uh exhaust housing on my turbo. I was just curious if you guys have ever heard that before. Nope. It, it, it turns out, Ryan, that uh, not many people have been running leaded gas for a little while now. <laughs> oh, yes. man. Not, not, a, not a lot of data on modern cars running <laughs> leaded fuel, I don't think. Uh, yeah. But speaking of getting used to things, I, I mean, you just said like getting used to it. Maybe it feels slower because you're getting used to it. But getting back in my car on the track after driving this is going to be kind of disappointing so you're you're topping out fifth almost having to shift into sixth on the back straight no i was in sixth. you were in sixth. yeah topped yeah. out fifth I, and went to sixth yeah so i mean and it was one of those things the the shift from fourth to fifth it would drop from like seven thousand to six thousand so i mean it was and it was just that quick and it was like next thing you know i'm in sixth gear which i I'll never, I mean, Utah is the only track I've ever hit six gear in my car. So, so yeah. So what, I mean, what was your top speed there? Dude, I wasn't flight. looking down. Well, I didn't know if you had telemetry. <laughs> I thought you guys maybe had telemetry. I, the, I, the camera I, was supposed to have GPS data and it, and it didn't record for some reason. And, and my, phone didn't, my phone didn't pick up anything. So, Thanks. I mean, and, and that's what, it really sucks. Cause, I mean, with that extra power, I was like hanging on for dear life because it was, it was fast. It was not trying to look down at the, the speedo, you know, at the end of the, the straight. But uh, I, I just, I know it was fast, yeah. way faster than I've ever gone back there. And uh, was the, how are the brakes? The brakes feel good? Like, I know you got like the big Brembos, but I'm just curious what you thought about the uh, Alcons. The Alcons felt good. They needed to be bled. Um, I hadn't, I didn't bleed them since uh, Pike's Peak when Scott ran Pike's Peak. So um, we, we really were complacent with just assuming that you know there's such such few miles of Pike's Peak race week. Just, I mean, I mean probably we, the whole race week in the run is seventy miles, maybe about seventy miles is what we added up. Like all all practice and the race, seventy miles. It should be fine. Just take it out and run it. But nope. I, I should have bled the brakes. We should have burped coolant. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Add, adding to the list. Adding to the <laughs> list. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so crazy to think of how much potential is in that car. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, it's like, it's the first time we've had that car where it actually feels like there's way more potential there than we know of yet. You know, yeah. like, it, yeah. and, and, and a lot of it is in a lot of it is is the brakes and the wheels and tires that that's where that has all come from or a lot of it has come from because we really didn't didn't feel like we were or we were always out running the brakes and, and the tires and the tire you know just the, the 17 inch it was just much more of a limiting factor i think yeah. up until we, we've made those changes and now it's like now we can fully utilize the power and you know, just go as fast and brake as hard as you want um, yeah we the suspension, the suspension is a limiting factor and it's only because it needs to be set up yeah. and we need to figure out how to get some more front camber in this thing because we're running into the issue with, I mean, it's a combination of a few things, but it's mostly just the, 
Weiss fab front knuckles and the way that the eccentric bolt works in there. So what it does is the Weiss fab front knuckle pushes the control arm down. And because of that, it's, it's hard to get the extra camber. But with the eccentric bolt, where you should be able to add that camber in there, that the eccentric bolt holds just too big. So you turn the eccentric bolt and it really doesn't move in there at all. You know, like huh. on a stock one, there's you the, probably what two, maybe two and a half degrees of camber adjustment. Yeah, at least, a, yeah, front to back, yeah, for yeah. Sure. And and on with the Weiss fab knuckles and that that bolt, there's just no no play in there. So no no control, no, no ability no control, to really move yeah. it. So we need to figure out how to get some more front camber in this thing because I, I was definitely running on the outside of the tire. Yeah. Um, and not even well, now that, pushing. So. Now, that you, now that you've had the taste, dude, now that you have the taste of that five degrees. <laughs> well, and, and again, we've talked about it. Like we would have never set up our cars the way that the Taiku cars set up. No. And I mean, it, what, it was the last event at Pueblo when you drove my car and you uh -huh. were like, the car feels amazing on everything but the slow speed corners. You need more camber. And so I, I put the stock front sway bar in and added a bunch of camber, went out to Utah and damn, <laughs> damn, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's there, you know, but like also like paying attention to the, the tire wear, you know, like yeah. the way that that tire is rolling over when it's set at the proper pressure. Um, yeah. If it's rolling over too much, you just need more camber and yeah. this car definitely needs it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people on the internet who would say, Oh, you need to be checking tire temperatures and blah, blah, blah. And all this other stuff. But, like, was what we're doing, man. I mean, we're, like, going until the car can't go anymore, and then you're on a cool-down. Like, what do you do? Like, you can't check. Like, there's no point in checking tires off of a cool-down lap. You got to right. come in, like, blazing hot to get good accurate readings. Oh, yeah. And then there's just one of us. You know, like, if you yeah. and I are there, sure. But it's just, I don't know. I mean, we are trying to work within our limitations. But I see so many people doing the tire temperature thing wrong that they're hurting themselves more than they're helping them without a doubt because sure. guys will do that. They'll go out there, they'll run their time, they'll run their times. They'll come on their cool down lap, but go over. I mean, I saw the, the TGA guys doing that. I don't know if they're taking tire temps, but you know, setting pressures and stuff. And when you're not coming in hot, 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 you're not getting like that good, good data. Yeah. You know? Well, it's like, that's where that, that super Taiku car has, has been like the Rosetta stone for yeah. gd setup and, and because it's yeah. like you you've got you have you have the advantage of like somehow like a full professional like subaru backed team built this car and then yeah. when it became up for sale they didn't like completely dismantle Neuter. it or, or hide yeah. or hide it yeah, right hide all the right. stuff so yeah. now it's like here you go and it's like well wait i, I mean we i remember the first time we saw pictures of it the wheels the front wheels are all tipped <laughs> in it's like well, that's just that's just to make it look cool. That's not actually functional. And like we've been doing all this stuff, and yeah, this it should really be more like this. And then you got like just what it does is just like no, it, there's probably a reason for this. The more you, well, so, the more we've looked around, like and and you think about the fact that that car is an endurance car. It's set up yeah. with a really aggressive camber on an endurance car. You know, they wouldn't set if you're gonna you burn up your tires. You yeah. wouldn't want to set up an endurance car where it would burn up your tires because you're just, that's more pit stops. That's more tires. Yep. That's more money. Yep. All of that. Yep. You know, so 
but the, and the, the funny part of that that's that's what we thought like that or, or that like because it had been so long since the car had run that it had this aggressive stance just to look cool and whatever but then as you started doing it scotty and measuring your your tread depth or, or, or basically the depth of the tire carcass once you got to that four or five degrees all of a sudden now you had even tread depth yeah. across the slicks even right, on yeah. your car and it's like oh man this is this is not this is actually this this is a good camber setting for an endurance car because you're going to have yeah. even wear across across yeah, the right. carcass of the tire well and if you think about it like when it comes to time attack which is not endurance you know right. we're talking one to two hot laps if adding excessive amounts of camber or toe or you know regardless of what it is if it's going to burn up a tire, but it's going to give you that lap time, it might be worth it. Now, at the same point in time, I can't afford tires all the time. So I try not <laughs> to run really aggressive toe, toe in or toe, toe out. Yeah. But, you know, if I could afford tires running, you know, like actually experimenting with toe might mm -hmm. be a little bit better and might actually give you that three tenths of a second that you're looking for. Maybe. But maybe, maybe. But, but I mean, still, it's like, if if it's going to make you faster, I mean these things, these things will be beneficial. Yeah. Um, obviously, it, it made that car fast enough in what two thousand four to win. Uh, yeah, two thousand five. Yeah, two thousand five to win the championship. Yep. Yeah, well, and it's it. This has kind of been in the back of my head as, as we've had this whole conversation about the 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 significance of thinking about reliability as you're building and maintaining your car. Because, like, you know, if having the right settings so that you've got way even tire wear so that, yeah, you're going to spend $1,600 on a set of slicks, but you're going to get four weekends, five, five days out of a set of slicks versus two. Like, mm -hmm. using, like, getting the maximum use out of the money spent on the car, building for reliability, like having a really overbuilt cooling system, making sure that the car is reliable, not, not, tweaking the power like maxing out the power to the point where yeah i mean if everything stays together you can put down a blistering lap time but the car is apart more than it's together and, yeah. and you're, you're just burning every spare penny that you have to try and get the car running again versus a reasonable power level to keep the car just just as reliable as possible like what you've done with your build scotty so that you're out there refining seat your time. driving seat time, seat time driving participating you know <clears throat> getting out there and, and finding time other ways versus just, just like, you know, relying only on the loud pedal. I mean, it's just, it all, it all comes back to, uh, to reliability, I think. And see time. Yeah. There, I mean, there's those people that, that we've all seen that just throw as much money as they can in the motor. And mm -hmm. when things are constantly breaking, you know, that's a lot of extra money. Um, mm -hmm. but only upgrading the motor and not upgrading anything else as opposed to upgrading everything else and leaving the damn motor alone. So it's mm -hmm. reliable and just, yeah. Driving. And, and not even just upgrading the motor, but actually like figuring stuff out. Like, mm -hmm. like it's, it's amazing how much time you find when you really figure something out. And I, and I mean, I'm not saying that we are there yet, but I think we're starting to make strides. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, you know, like if, if, if the Pikes Peak car would have done a 155, it would have been what in the top five cars of that NASA weekend. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there was a 149 car, but after that it was 54s, 53s at best. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, and, and honestly, so like you know, it did a fifty-two, right? It did a fifty-three. It did it on Sunday, okay. though. Okay. He was doing fifty-fives gotcha. before that. Well, and it's like as you as you figure stuff out, like okay, we, we've got the suspension working, the tires are working, or, or you know you're moving in the right direction. Like like that car, like way way back when we were talking about okay, how fast does that car need to be able to lap high planes to think that we really have a competitive car for for like podiuming in our class at Pikes Peak? Mm-hmm. And pretty much the, the the number that we came up with was about a minute forty five, and at that point we were doing a two minute in the car, and it's like. 15 seconds. I mean, there's just, there's just no way. Mm-hmm. There's just no way. I mean, we have to, we have to double the power and take 500 pounds out of the car at a minimum before we could even think about getting to a minute, 45 second lap. And we're still a ways away from that. But all of a sudden, like that minute 45, it doesn't seem crazy anymore. Right. We have, we've added a little bit of power, but not much. We've really improved the handling and the braking. And all of a sudden, like, it feels like 53s, 52s are within striking distance. Yeah. Like that, that's something that like on the right day, right conditions, better suspension setup, that's that's doable now. And all of a sudden, like and, we're, and, we're and that's up. still seven or eight seconds away from what this car would have to do to be like a winning time of Pike's Peak. Yeah, so, but I so. mean you look at you look at the cars that are winning that time attack class and they're they're not I mean look at Boyd's car for example. I mean that car is so far away from a bolt-on car. I mean it's a sequential transmission, a lot of custom aero. I mean right. even if even if that car is running like 48s or whatever at high planes and we're running 50 53s like you look at how much like, there's a huge jump between your guys' car and that and that boy Devo right now. You know, it's a huge mm-hmm. jump. It's not like a little jump. It's not like when you see like, all right, well, we're like seven seconds away from it, and then you look down the line and see what seven seconds looks like. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it kind of looks like seven seconds at least, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But instead, you know, I I mean, to put that into comparison, it's kind of fun to take a car that you were doing two minutes, and now things are getting cleaned up. Things are starting to make sense. We're learning so much. We're all working together, kind of like as a little uh, Subaru co-op to try and make everything faster collectively. And, and now like when you looked at what 15 seconds, seven seconds and 15 seconds still look the same on the other end. It's just, we're getting our car, you know, your car so much closer without making crazy changes. But here's the difference. It's the not making crazy changes. That's why all of a sudden a 45 seems like it's attainable. Cause you said, all right, well, we're, we're about 200 horsepower down on him. Yeah. And we could add 200 horsepower. I mean, that's that is it's not a mystery. There, there's yeah. there's a lot of prescribed paths to add 200 horsepower to the car. Haven't done it yet, but mm-hmm. hey, look at how much closer we've gotten without doing that. We, yeah. Would we pick up time if we added 200 horsepower? Yeah. He's got a sequential. Like that's a, that's totally doable. It's expensive, mm-hmm. but it's totally doable. But we haven't done it yet. Could we? Yeah. Could we pick up time if we added a sequential? Yeah. So it's like the, the more that you can refine the package and, and get the car to work better and, and work better and, and drop those times and know that you still have these two things that are that are there. Three. They're, we three have things. three things because there's arrow. Arrow. Yes. True. Yeah. You got much more He's got a arrow. big arrow package on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and that's harder ish. I mean, there, there's definitely people that we could work with to help really improve the aero package mm-hmm. of the car. The classing at Pikes Peak makes it a little bit tricky. But but again, like there's there's those three pieces of the puzzle we haven't really even started to exploit yet. And we've gotten the car to be this much mm-hmm. quicker by yep. improving the system already. 
And so and then that po places us so that when we when we do bring those things in, we're yeah. really going to get the maximum impact for it. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And I think there's there's probably a lot of um, like high I don't know a lot of competitive cars, and I'm I know the professional awesome guys kind of talked about it that haven't really optimized those things yet. I mean, just even even my blue car, not that my blue car is like a void evil or anything like that, but even my blue car, the way it was set up when I took it to the nationals and stuff, it was so far away from being optimized. And I knew it was, I knew it wasn't where it needed to be, but now I'm realizing like how much, how big the gap hmm. really was, how big the gap really is. And which is exciting because there's a ton of competitive cars out there. Well, that are putting out competitive times, we'll just say, regardless of how they're doing it with, with money or with power or with driver development or whatever that, um, that aren't, aren't working on the minute, like all these small little things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and what, we're, what we're really seeing is like Scotty kind of forged down that trail with, with the stuff that he figured out with his car. And now we've gone down the same trail with the Pikes Peak car and, and just tweaking the power a little bit, nothing crazy, mm -hmm. but just a, a, a tweak to the power and, and following a lot of the similar plans as far as like suspension and, and grip and, and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's giving huge shaving off huge amounts of time that would, you know, it's like you figure you're going to be looking for a 10th or two. And now we've just wiped five seconds off. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's an eternity. That's massive. And it's all through like figuring out these fine details and knowing that there's still more there. That's, that's, what's crazy. What about, um, what about, uh, do you have any thoughts on experimenting with stock hubs in the front with the, with extended ball joints on the, the hill climb car? Just to see if getting more camper outside of the, the Weiss fab is really something that can benefit the car. I would say, so the, so the, the ball, the, the roll center correction in the Weiss fab knuckles is 50 millimeters. That's two inches. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. like, there's nothing, there's, there's nothing in that, even in that ballpark. I, well, I guess I, what, what Ryan's asking is just reducing that using those other ball joints just so we can add that extra yeah. hand. Well, so, yeah. so what I, what I wonder, I, I, I know that there's a benefit for that for sure. And I guess you'd have to try it. You have to take the wise fam knuckles off, put the stuck knuckles back on and then um, see if basically getting back, getting up to five degrees of camera, but losing all the caster and, and that roll correction, how that would balance. Mm -hmm. What I was going to say is that there's there's other options for us to try and pick up that camber with keeping the wise fab knuckles, and I think that's I would say probably we'd want to look at exploring yeah, those options first. Yeah. yeah, you guys still on the stock like stamp steel lower control arms up front? Or are you guys on yes. like STI control arms? I mean, yeah. there's there could be some camber in there too, right? Mm -hmm. Cool. Yep. Yep. Well, camber and caster. Yeah. 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 I. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's we, We've talked about notching the strut top so that we can actually yeah. slide the whole strut top in further. Um, and that that is sort of appealing, sort of not, but sort of appealing. Like it would be an easy thing to try. Hard to go just back hard from. To go, hard to go back from. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like we had talked about actually taking the top heads off and getting the machine so that we could actually move the whole strut top further in this. In. Yeah. So we're using... We've actually put Scotty's AST strut tops on because they had more of a recess there than, than the field strut tops did. 
but I think there's still room to machine out and, and rack the car in. But I think it would probably only get us maybe another degree. I don't know if we could get more than that. Uh, we could, we'll take all we can get right now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and if we could figure out that ball joint, like just figure out a solution for that ball joint to be able to really rack the, uh, basically tip, tip the knuckle in more. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that maybe could get us to five degrees. Which just sounds crazy. Uh, Josh yeah. Hawka, you guys know who he is in the GR, right? That runs yep. S- yep. S- street class. He runs five, five degrees of camber on the front of that car too. Yep. I remember way back in the day, Scott, you remember, uh, who's the guy with the black STI? This is, geez, probably like 17 or 18. Eric. Yeah. Eric, uh, Ryan, you, you met him, uh, one of the earlier sessions of high plains, Eric. Uh, oh yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, where uh, three R actually set up his his GD and yeah, yep. and and I remember that the setup was no front sway bar and four degrees of negative camber up front. We're like, oh, that can't be right. <laughs> now we're like five degrees huh. of camber and no sway bar up front. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. or, or stock sway bar, stock sway yeah. bar, no sway bar. I don't yeah. know. but it's like, oh man, it's it's come full circle. Yep. All right. Well, as as we're winding down, I think it's as good a good a time as any to kind of. Uh, I don't know. Is any other key points you guys want to hit on as far as this? Or that was a fun. Co- that was a fun one, though. I like that. Yeah, it was good. I, I tell you, there's it's there's some good information if you guys stick around to the end of these. We, we've we've <laughs> we've let out some of the good stuff here, but uh, yeah. Well, well, thanks very much for listening as always, and, and we'll wrap it up there. Until next time, and uh, we'll just thank you for your support. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay tuned with Flatirons Tuning.